0: Get Growing with Farmer Fred. Talk650 and KSTE.com. Here is Fred Hoffman.
1: Well, happy Sunday morning to you. Welcome to Get Growing on Talk650 KSTE. Farmer Fred here, Fred Hoffman, UC Cooperative Extension Lifetime Master Gardener, Garden Columnist with the Lodi News Sentinel, the guy that does all the typing at FarmerFred.com, all the ranting at the Farmer Fred rant blog page at Twitter.com slash Farmer Daily Garden Tips, lots of snark the Get Growing with Farmer Fred Facebook page where there is always a garden dialogue going on, including this week a little pop quiz for psychic bonus points about what's wrong with this tree. By the way, so far everybody has gotten the question right, so I'm not fooling anybody uh, about the California buckeye tree. And uh, a, a video posted that I had forgotten I had that was sent to me by a listener about five years ago that shows a paper wasp attacking a tomato hornworm. It was a, a relentless pursuit by this paper wasp to take chunks out of this tomato worm and take those chunks back to feed its brood back at the paper wasp nest. So, But it's, a, it's an exciting little video. That I, All I'm trying to prove to you is that social wasps, even some that you don't want around, like yellow jackets, they do have a purpose and are actually aiding you in the garden so you just have to be very judicious about uh, what you kill and paper wasps usually aren't that big a problem unless you disturb their nests yellow jackets on the other hand are very aggressive and they're the ones that are that want that salmon that's on your barbecue grill or to get inside your can of coca-cola or whatever so those are the ones that uh, pose more of a risk or or brooks's beer yeah they do get into that so uh, but they are in effect garden good guys unless you get in their way Uh, just a little defense there for the social wasps okay uh looking uh, at the weather today it's going to be hot which leads me to believe what can you do in air-conditioned comfort this afternoon now right now in sacramento the temperature is uh, still in the 70s it's the high 70s but i'm sure it's going to get warmer very soon as it usually does between 10 and 11 a.m and probably you'll be 90 degrees or so by 11 a.m or so so work early and then take the afternoon off and uh, maybe go to some place that has air-conditioned comfort. Perhaps the Sacramento Brumeliette and Carnivorous Plant Society show and sale that's going on today at the Shepherd Garden and Art Center from now until 4 p.m. Free parking, free admission, and from what I understand, the air conditioning does work. I hope I'm still right on that. At the uh, Shepherd Garden and Art Center, 3330 McKinley Boulevard in um, mckinley park by the way the bromeliad and carnivorous plant society show and sale one of the most colorful shows going you do not realize the amount of color in all the varieties of bromeliads that are out there and it's always uh something you wish you brought a better camera to take pictures of so take a good camera with you to that show at the uh, shepherd garden and art center going on today from now until four o'clock and, uh, you know, there are, there are air conditioning build, build buildings at the state fair, which is going on today and goes through next Sunday. But if you want to venture outside to the farm behind building B, the California Cooperative Extension Master Gardeners of Sacramento County have a booth to answer your garden questions set up there outside at the farm at the state fair. So you might want to pay a visit to them at the uh, state fair going on at Cal Expo here in Sacramento from um, today until sunday july 30th all right other things uh, you may want to go on today maybe uh, as it cools down in the evening maybe (laughs) it'll cool down in the evening uh from five until eight o'clock a plant clinic put on by the sacramento county master gardeners at cabrillo park it's part of their uh, music in the park series cabrillo park not uh, the master gardeners i don't think they have a music in the park series but uh, it might be music to your ears when they solve your garden problems so you can ask a Master Gardener at the that uh, event going on this evening, 5 to 8 p.m. at Cabrillo Park at 1648 65th Avenue in Sacramento. Other events you may want to take advantage of. Uh, coming up Tuesday, the San Joaquin County Master Gardeners have a class on using less toxic pesticides, also pesticide safety, and alternatives to using pesticides. That'll be going on Tuesday, 1030 to noon. It's a free class put on at the Cooperative Extension Office in San Joaquin County in Stockton at 2101 East Earhart Avenue out by the airport in Stockton. Napa County Master Gardeners are recruiting the next class of future Master Gardeners. They'll have an informational meeting next Saturday from noon to 1.30 p.m. So if you're a resident of Napa County, you may want to attend that meeting. If you want to be a Master Gardener, that'll be at the Cooperative Extension Meeting Room at 1710 Soskill Avenue in Napa next saturday noon until 1 30. the uh at the old city cemetery in fact we're going to be talking in a few minutes to anita clevenger uh, who manages the uh, historic rose garden at the old city cemetery uh, but uh, also in the city cemetery is a perennial garden it's a beautiful perennial garden called the hamilton square garden and next saturday at 10 a.m they have a free tour of that garden And that'll be at 10 a.m. next Saturday, the Old City Cemetery at 10th and Broadway in Sacramento. So uh, you may want to uh, attend that free event if you'd like. What else is going on? Uh, Plant Clinic in Folsom. Next Saturday, Folsom is having Ask the Sprinkler Guy event at the um, Folsom City Lions Park at 403 Stafford Street in Folsom. Brooks, you ever ride the train at... uh, uh, at that park there, the little train. You've been on the train. Okay. They let you on. Okay. All right. Uh, the It's a nifty little train out there by the zoo at Folsom City Lions Park. But they're going to have all sorts of uh, irrigation experts and more at the Ask the Sprinkler Guy event in Folsom at the City Lions Park next Saturday from 10 until 2. And the uh, Sacramento County Master Gardeners will be there as well to answer your garden questions at their ask the master gardener booth at your local farmer's markets whatever day of the week you go, there's usually one near you. And today the big one, the granddaddy of them all here in Sacramento takes place in the shade of the state parking lot beneath the WX freeway at eighth and W streets in Sacramento every Sunday morning until noon. So you have a couple of hours to get down there and, uh, see what's new and I'll tell you what's new. Most of the fruits you've been craving, the the plums, the pluots, the peaches, the pears, the nectarines, they're starting to harvest those in mass now. They're ready, they're ripe, and you're going to find them at a local farmers market near you. So if you're looking to for a real nice sweet taste treat, try some of the deciduous fruits now appearing at a farmers market near you, especially the one in downtown Sacramento, there are at 8th and W Streets underneath the freeway. Nice shady area going on every Sunday from 8 until noon. Also, tomatoes and peppers and zucchini and everything else you could possibly want uh, is, is ripening now and will be available at most farmers markets from now through mid-September. So you may want to take advantage of that. And uh, one event you should take advantage of is Harvest Day coming up at Fair Oaks, Horticulture Center. It'll be on Saturday, August 5th, in a couple of weeks from 8 until 2 o'clock. In my estimation, it is the finest garden event in Sacramento because not only is there plenty to do there and plenty of great speakers, something like 30 or 40 community organizations and uh, groups are there to answer your garden questions. It's like experts from every field. I always just like walking around there, and when somebody recognizes my voice and they have a question, all I have to do is point to somebody else and say, you ought to ask that guy or that gal because they're the real experts. And it's true. Most of the horticultural experts that are in our area are at Harvest Day at Fair Oaks Park at the Fair Oaks Horticulture Center. So uh, take advantage of that on Saturday, August 5th, 8 a.m. to 2 p.m. It's free. All right. And we'll have more information about that next Sunday on this very program. When we come back, we're going to take a little tour of the historic Rose Garden at the Old City Cemetery as we continue with Get Growing on Talk 650 KSTE.
0: Get Growing continues with Farmer Fred. Talk 650 KSTE. Here again, Fred Hoffman. If you've ever visited
1: the Old City Cemetery at 10th and Broadway, you may be astounded and amazed at how old some of those old graves are. But maybe you didn't notice what else is going on at the Old City Cemetery. The perennial garden, the 88 different varieties of California native bees that call the Old City Cemetery home. And since 1992, the historic rose garden that's at the old city cemetery it is an amazing rose garden there and uh, we're talking with the manager and curator of the historic rose garden and a master gardener anita clevenger and anita this is what your 14th year volunteering out there
2: yes it is
0: that's i came amazing. out
2: to help prune one year after i'd taken a pruning class there and then discovered that The work in the garden never ended, nor did my love for the roses.
1: How many roses are actually out there, old garden roses, at the Old City Cemetery there at 10th and Broadway?
2: There are about 500 in the collection, and most of them are roses of the 19th century, roses that are the same ones or the same type that uh, the people buried there would have planted on their graves or grown on their homes. We also have some species roses, some wild roses that help you see uh, really what roses are like. They can be so diverse from, we have the tiniest rose uh, known, Rosa Minutifolia growing there, as well as roses that clamber 60 feet up a tree.
1: And there are California native roses there as well?
2: We have one native in our garden. There are more natives down, I believe, in the uh, uh, California native plant demonstration garden elsewhere in the cemetery. But we really specialize in garden type roses, so roses that were grown as opposed to wild roses.
1: And you have a lot of found roses there as well that have been found on sites throughout California that have found a permanent home at the Old City Cemetery.
2: Yes, we keep track of where we find them, and it's part of the horticultural history of California is how they were brought across the prairies or sold by early nurseries. We keep track of where they're grown, and if we know the origin of them, we keep track of that story. And so it's not just a collection of old roses. It's a collection of historic roses that have been collected at old cemeteries and home sites, and even along the roads or in the middle of a pasture, wherever we've been able to find them and preserve them.
1: Over the years, roses uh, gain popularity, lose popularity, some fall out of commerce. Yet at the Old City Cemetery there, you can find some, what, 19th century and early 20th century cultivars that uh, were very popular here in Sacramento way back when.
2: Right. And actually, many of the roses they were growing in Victorian times are older than that. We have a rose that's thought to be the rose that uh, was in Rome, uh, the twice-blooming rose uh, that was written about and celebrated in Rome, uh, the Autumn Downist rose. So we have uh, people didn't just grow the latest and greatest roses, although they wanted those. They also grew the historic roses that that had come down to them over time
1: let's talk about some of the events uh, that you're responsible for there in conjunction with the uh, historic rose garden at the old city cemetery probably the most popular are uh, deadheading and uh, pruning classes
2: right Uh, well we are an all-volunteer garden we were founded by volunteers and we are maintained and tended. We work in partnership with the city and the staff and we're assisted by the Sheriff's Work Project who's out on the weekend. But it's all volunteers and so we're about volunteers Preserving and tending these roses and also educating others about them and so we do give pruning classes we give propagation class in the fall we uh, do deadheading parties that help us tend the rose garden during the summer but also it's a chance to teach people about how to do it and we also lead tours and have our open garden event in april
1: and i believe you also have rose sales don't you
2: Well, at our open garden, we do indeed, and we have been propagating like mad this year. We want to make sure that not only are we preserving these rare roses with wonderful stories and that are tough survivors, if they survived in the old cemeteries, then it's a good indicator they're going to do well here in Sacramento. So we've been propagating these for sale. We usually have at least 500 roses for sale that are mostly our rare and historic types. They are sold during our open garden event, which is in early April on a Saturday, usually the second Saturday of the month.
1: Most people think of roses as showstoppers in mid-spring, summer, and fall. Is there winter interest in a rose garden?
2: Yes, there is. We have many of the roses that only bloom once will form beautiful fruit. Some people deadhead remove the spent flowers so diligently on their roses that they don't know that the reason they're blooming is to set fruit. And the rose tips are their fruit and they can be tiny little round red or yellow balls or they can be very large oval shaped fruit. And so one of the things that you see in the rose garden through the winter, fall and winter is their fruit also our roses do tend to bloom that's not the overwhelming display but we have many roses from Asia that are virtually evergreen and ever-blooming each year there's about two weeks that there's nothing in bloom in the rose garden on any other day uh, so 50 weeks out of the year you can find at least a few flowers in the garden and frankly i just think that the plants themselves are beautiful when they drop their leaves and we have them pruned. there's something to be said for just seeing how they grow and so and at that point you can observe all the different ways that the prickles are there it's a lot of variety in these old roses so a chance to really get acquainted with them every day of the year
1: for the best show of roses when is the best time to visit the old city cemetery
2: Early April really is best. Uh, it begins with a the banksia roses that go up the trees, and usually they're blooming by mid-March. And there's a few other very early blooming roses. Some are climbers, some are the early uh, Asian roses, the teas in China. So there will be a scattering of bloom starting with mid-March, usually and then there's a succession of bloom so some roses don't really hit their stride until the end of April or beginning of May anymore it seems to be we're getting the bloom earlier in the years and so that's why uh, we do most of our activities in early to mid April but there's bloom there really uh, great display the entire month
1: and Anita Clevenger, the manager and curator of the Historic Rose Garden at the Old C- City Cemetery at 10th and Broadway. Thanks for a few minutes of your time. And we should point out that if people want more information, they can visit the website, OldCityCemetery.com.
2: And Fred, there's also a website devoted to the Rose Garden. It's CemeteryRose.org. And we have a Facebook page. You can find us on Facebook. So it's historic Rose- Sacramento Historic Rose Garden on Facebook.
1: Anita Clevenger, thanks so much for your time today. You're welcome. Coming up in a few minutes, uh, we're going to find out about succulents, a growing area of plant popularity. Succulents come in a wide range of sizes and colors and shapes. And uh, probably uh, one of the best experts on in the world of succulents is Robin Stockwell. And we're going to be talking to him about succulent care and Easy succulent choices to make uh, coming up a little bit later on in this program. Also, a garden grappler coming up in a few minutes. There is a clue available at FarmerFred.com. Clue available at the Get Growing with Farmer Fred Facebook page as well. And we'll be doing that about 11 o'clock or so. Also, we'll pay a visit to the Fair Oaks Horticulture Center and uh, take a tour of their fruit tree orchard. And also, oak tree care. And I'm talking about people who may have moved onto acreage or... Recently subdivided property, especially in the foothills where there may be some old oaks and what you should and shouldn't do to ensure the health of that tree. So we'll be doing that a little bit later on this program between now and 12 o'clock. Well, nice surprise in the mail here when I got here is a, a new edition of a classic book. The name of the book is How to Grow More Vegetables. And it's now in its ninth edition uh, written by John Jevons who uh, works up in the Willits area. This book has been around since uh, the 1970s. And uh, if you have that book, uh, the new book is laid out in much the same way. It looks very much like that old 1970s edition with updated information. And uh, it's the ninth update that John has done on this book. And it's going to be on the market on July 25th. Again, the name of the book is called How to Grow More Vegetables. And it really is a, a, a good primer if you want to uh, grow more vegetables uh, sustainably. And John has uh, basically written about vegetables and biointensive gardening, sustainable, high-yield organic gardening for years and years and years. He's the director of a group called Ecology Action up in the Willits area. And his website is growbiointensive.org. But anyway, nice to see the ninth edition of how to grow more vegetables is out, and, uh, well, we'll be out on July 25th. It's always exciting to see that. All right, how about an update uh, for our friends down in the Mariposa area on the um, Detweiler Fire, uh, latest update from Cal Fire on that big fire there near Yosemite. 76,000 acres have burned, 40% contained, so that's good news. However, there are something like 1,500 structures that are still threatened, So far, 63 homes have been destroyed, and uh, along with 67 minor structures, uh, thousands of uh, uh, firefighters and support crew working on that blaze as we speak. And uh, the evacuation situation is changing. They're letting some people back home, and others, there are still evacuation orders in effect. And if you want more information about that, you might want to visit the CAL FIRE website, which is uh, fire.ca.gov, and just click on the CAL FIRE incident page for more information about uh, the Detweiler Fire and several smaller areas throughout northern and central California. And that's the problem with hot, dry weather like we're having today, and we'll continue to have for the coming week, low humidities, not much relief as far as overnight temperatures. So be fire safe out there and Don't do any uh, weed whacking, mowing on dry grass without taking the usual precautions of checking the area thoroughly before you mow. Clear off any rocks or impediments that a blade could strike. Don't park any hot equipment on dry grass. You know, use your head. And keep water handy and keep your cell phone handy too in case you have to make an emergency call. Don't be too proud to make that call. We'll take a short break when we come back. We're talking succulents here on Get Growing on Talk 650 KSDE.
0: You are listening to Get Growing with Farmer Fred. Talk 650 KSTE. Here again, Fred Hoffman.
1: People looking for a drought-tolerant landscape don't need to look any further than succulents, and there's a whole world of succulents that do well in the Central Valley. We're talking to the author of the book, Succulents, The Ultimate Guide to Choosing, Designing, and Growing 200 Easy Care Plants. It's Robin Stockwell, and Robin, you've been associated with succulents for a long time. You've had a nursery, and now you've got a website.
3: I do. The website is the thesucculentguy.com. The nursery that I sold two and a half years ago is Succulent Gardens located on the Monterey Bay.
1: Now this book, Succulents, is just a gorgeous book. It's much more than a coffee table book. It's really a great how-to if people want an introduction to the world of succulents. And the beautiful part about succulents is it's a great small space garden. Even if you just have a sunny patio or just want to do container gardening, there's a succulent that will fit.
3: Absolutely. And actually when I first started out growing succulents, I would ride my bicycle through what then were called trailer parks. Now they're called mobile home parks. Uh, But because people who lived in those mobile home parks lived in pretty small spaces, you often found succulents growing on their porches. And so if I saw a variety that I didn't have, I'd knock on the door and ask for a a cutting or trade a cutting. And uh, I never took them without permission. (laughs) That's important, isn't it? But you learned at an early age how to take cuttings. I did, I did. So how did that interest in succulents begin? My interest in succulents actually began by helping a friend who I I had gotten out of the army and went back to school. And the friends I was in school with had all graduated from college. And I went back to college and helped a friend who, when he got out of school, he started growing plants and selling them at the farmer's market in uh, San Jose, or the flea market. And at that time, I was helping him. We drove to Monterey through the artichoke fields, saw a little sign. It said Mulligan Hill Cactus. And Mulligan Hill Cactus turned out to be a collection of plants that one of the artichoke foremen, uh, was growing, and I ended up buying his collection, and the friend of mine and I became partners and started growing plants together. And we were just enamored by all the flowers. The, the They were mostly cacti, it was springtime, and they were all in bloom. So we were just enamored, and that's how we started working together growing plants.
1: Well, let's get back to the subject on hand, which is your book, Succulents, The Ultimate Guide to Choosing, Designing, and Growing 200 Easy Care Plants. and get, I should mention that if you hear noise around us, it's because we are at the uh, horticultural show for Northern California called NorCal here in San Mateo. So we're taking a little break from uh, visiting booths and and talking uh, with Robin Stockwell here. Robin, what are some good container succulents that would be easy for people to grow in the valley?
3: I love Echeverias, and Echeverias love me. Uh, that you might know of some echeverias having been referred to as hen and chicks because the mother plant, the central plant, which sends out babies around the base, uh, the central plant being the hen and the babies, the offsets to the mother plant being the chicks. Uh, And there are many, many, many kinds of echeverias. They lend themselves extremely well to container plantings. The roots are somewhat shallow. And uh, they're just tough, versatile plants. And there's hundreds and hundreds of varieties. And the foliage comes in white, black, blue, pink, purple, all different colors. And they flower in the spring and summer. So you get the flowers. Hummingbirds love the flowers. So if you like hummingbirds, they draw hummingbirds. So that's one plant I love to use in containers. I, I love sedum. Sedums do extremely well in the Central Valley. Probably they'll do a little bit better in the summertime with a little afternoon protection from the sun. But the sedums, there's many types of sedums, and they tend to be little ground cover types, and they'll cascade over the side of the pot, so they really look cool when they grow out of the side of the pot. And then I think that the Sempervivums aloes. Uh, most succulents do extremely well in containers. What sort of exposure do they need? They want about two to three hours of sun a day. Some varieties will take full sun, even in Sacramento, but they want to be a mature plant. You don't want to take a juvenile and then put it in the full sun. If you're going to put a, put a, a container in full sun, you really want to get it well established. I myself, even Even on the coast where I've been raised and and growing my plants, even on the coast, I love morning sun for growing my plants and afternoon shade. So some filtering of the sunlight will make your plants a little more vibrant and colorful and have a nice form too little sun and they'll they'll start to lose color. So if they get two, three, four hours sun a day, that's a good amount.
1: So an eastern exposure.
3: Eastern exposure is wonderful.
1: What sort of soil mix is best for a containerized succulent?
3: So all succulents like to have good drainage. And if you're gonna buy a potting mix, you can buy a cactus mix, which is basically a mix that has good drainage and aeration. If you don't want to buy a cactus mix, you want to take your own potting mix and use it for succulents. It's a good idea to amend it with either crushed lava or perlite or pumice. Either one of those three things will help you give the aeration. And if you if you take about one part of the crushed lava and three parts of the potting mix that's a good mix to make a blend that is aerated and drains well what are the watering requirements for
1: containerized succulents
3: watering for succulents is somewhat dependent on the exposure the time of year and the type of container. Glazed containers, non-porous containers tend to dry out more slowly, but typically we water about once a week in a container. In the Central Valley, the maximum you're gonna wanna water is twice a week during the hotter months, but that's that's the most you're going to wanna water. The important thing is, when you do water, water thoroughly. Make sure the water gets all the way in to the roots. Don't don't just give it a dab of water and assume that's going to help the plant. It will help it a little bit, but you'll get better results if you get it all the way down into the bottom.
1: In the wintertime, should they be offered some protection, or can they take the full elements outdoors?
3: When you talk about winter protection, generally you're talking about freezes, sub-freezing temperatures. Succulents, almost all the succulents I've grown are good down to 32 degrees. Once you go below 32, you start to thin out the varieties. That you can grow you really want to try to get good information about the plants that you're growing I recommend first of all that when you go to a, a, a nursery if you look at the succulents in the nursery and they're not labeled tell the nursery people hey please start getting labels on plants and get labels with good information on what what grows where how cold it can go if you look at my book you all all the plants listed, it shows t- cold tolerance. It shows how how long it takes to get bigger. You know, how big do they grow? When do they flower? What color of the flower? That's what labeling is about. And we're kind of in a transition now. And what you want to do as a consumer is insist on good information from your nursery folks.
1: Excellent advice there. And, of course, your book is an <laughs> excellent resource as well, Succulents, by Robin Stockwell. One more question, and I've heard this answer both ways and I'm not sure which is right. During a frost or a freeze, it's not uncommon uh, advice to water plants to help stave off the effects of a frost or a freeze. But I've heard with succulents, do not water them if a frost or a freeze is predicted. True or
3: false? So my my thing about a freeze is they go through the freeze better if they're dry. Sometimes you don't have that uh, ability because you might have a rainstorm and then it clears and freezes so there's not much you can do about that but if you have the option i like them to be dry during a, a, a hard freeze
1: all right excellent advice the book against succulents the ultimate guide to choosing designing and growing 200 easy care plants it is by robin stockwell it's published by oxmoor house and uh one and, more and book. it's
3: basically a sunset book
1: and it's a beautiful book too i mean it's, it's easy to understand beautiful
3: pictures but uh one more plug for your website. Oh, the website is
1: thesucculentguy.com. Thesucculentguy.com, and on there you you said you're going to be turning it into sort of a tutorial for growing succulents. Exactly. All right, Robin. It's a pleasure to meet you, and uh, running into running into you here at the uh, NorCal show, and it, this is one of my favorite books. I'm not giving this one away.
3: This has been serendipitous. You and I did not schedule this meeting. We had a phone call scheduled yes. on Monday. Yes, and here. we We are. I think that's wonderful. All right. It's all good. Succulents by Robin Stockwell. Robin, thank you so much. I've been wanting to meet you. This is awesome. (laughs) Thank you so much, Fred. Speaking of
1: succulents, uh, in fact, a lot of Robin succulents that he grew at his nursery, you can find at High Hand Nursery in Loomis. High Hand Nursery, open seven days a week at 3750 Taylor Road in Loomis. Beautiful, beautiful, amazing succulents. That Scott and his crew have out there at High Hand Nursery. And, of course, the wonderful cafe, the the fruit shed with all the wonderful specialty stores like the High Hand Olive Oil Store, the High Hand Art Gallery. And they always have special events coming up. And Train Day is coming up uh, to their uh, sister place, Maple Rock Gardens, on Saturday, September 9th. You can find out more details about that when you visit High Hand Nursery in Loomis on Taylor Road or visit their website, highhand.com.
0: Get Growing continues with Farmer Fred. Talk 650 KSTE. Here again, Fred Hoffman.
1: Let's answer some garden questions. You got one? Give me a call. 576-1578 in the 916 area code. Outside the area, 866-331-8255. Email, post it to fred at farmerfred.com. Or uh, leave me a note at the Get Growing with Farmer Fred Facebook page, just like Catherine did yesterday. And she says, I'll be listening on Sunday. I need an answer to this. She says, it seems like there are numerous of my neighbors that are coming across this monster. What is it? How do we get rid of it? And sure enough, she sends a picture of a um, bug in a bag. She has it in a plastic bag. And what's nice is Carolyn, or Catherine rather, uh, has her finger next to the bug. So I have a good idea of how long the bug is and it's goes from the tip of her finger down to about well past the first knuckle so it's a good sized bug that's an inch and a half two inches and what's unusual about this beetle is the antenna do not stick straight out or even in a v-shape they're almost parallel with its head they and then sort of flared back even and it's an interesting bug, and I was a little wondering about that myself. About what the heck is that? So I, I forwarded the picture to our friend Baldo, who is who is tasting melons today at his place. Baldo Viegas, he's a retired state entomologist, and uh, he's been he's just been taunting me with all his Facebook posts lately about all the fresh fruit that he's uh, sampling out of his backyard orchard. And it must be melon day, so uh, he's uh, been. Uh, eating melons and posting pictures of him eating fruit, knowing that I don't have an orchard anymore, and it'll be a few years before I do again. Uh, But uh, I must say there is progress being made on that front as far as uh, getting the yard rehabbed to be more conducive to growing food. So that's coming along. Anyway, uh, Baldo uh, provided the answer as to what this particular bug is, and you may be seeing it too. Baldo says he's been seeing it uh more and more lately it's called the california prionis longhorn beetle and he says that the larvae feed on the roots of many trees including oaks fruit trees and more can cause extensive damage the adults are emerging right now that's what you're seeing and he says it's the third i've seen this week in this area he says don't worry about getting rid of them just leave them outside and the birds will take care of them and the adults are attracted to light. So that's maybe why you might be seeing more of these bugs as well. Because as they emerge as adults, as they do between June and August, they're flying around. They're looking for easy action. Um, they're looking to mate. And uh, the males are smaller than the females. Uh, they're the ones with more strongly serrated antenna. And it's not the adults that are doing the damage. Because all they're doing flying around Looking to mate because they don't live that long. They only live of an adult uh, longhorn beetle is about 10 to 20 days. And shortly after mating, the female lays single cream to yellow brown eggs, which uh, she can produce up to 200 in her lifetime. And those eggs are laid below the soil surface near the roots of suitable hosts. And that includes a lot of uh, deciduous uh, trees and shrubs, some conifers, and especially hops and grapes as well. And uh, the larvae, as Baldo says, they seek out roots shortly after hatching. They furrow and tunnel through the roots as they consume tissue, moving upward and inward. And uh, the larvae move from smaller to larger diameter roots as they age and grow. And uh, the pupation, where they rest until they become adults, occurs near the soil surface, in a cell constructed of soil and root material and uh the the pupa version looks like adults according to the wikipedia page on the prionus californicus also known as uh, baldo pointed out the california prionus longhorn beetle or its prionus i'm not sure which but anyway let the birds take care of the adults that's uh, the best advice and uh, yes when you're seeing them now because this is the time the adults are are emerging and uh, going about whatever the it is they do all right uh let's go to the phones let's talk with roy in citrus heights here on get growing hi roy
4: oh good morning what's up um two questions uh one i planted a cantaloupe and a muskmelon uh both from one of the nurseries you often uh have people on from and advertise and uh, they're doing great, growing lots of uh, vines everywhere, practically taking over my entire backyard. I was curious to know when the melons form, little melons, and then they start to get bigger and bigger, what's the time frame from when the, you know, say the little melon forms to when I should start really looking at is it time to pick these things off the vine?
1: yeah there's a a lot of uh, theories about how to tell when a melon is ripe or not okay. and 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 thumping it doesn't do much good because it really depends on the time of the day you do the thumping and oh, basically okay. what you what you want to look at is where it attaches to the vine and look at the tendrils that are right there at the end of the vine and uh, attached to the fruit and when those little tendrils start turning brown that's your first indicator that the fruit is probably ready. The other indicator is it will easily slip from the vine. Don't force it and just uh, do a little twist and if it comes off easily, it's it's probably ready.
4: Okay, do, do you have an approximate amount of time? Perhaps the the little card that came with the plant said something about 85 to 90 days, but I wasn't sure if that meant from when I plant the plant, to, or is that from when the melon forms? That, that was part of what I was like.
1: Eh. When did you plant it?
4: Oh, I planted it as soon as the weather uh, started actually getting warm enough, uh, you know, just after official tomato planting day. Oh,
1: okay. So you did it in early May then. Yes. Okay, well, that that's good because a lot of melons, they prefer warm soil. And until the soil warms up to where they like it, which is usually around 70 degrees or so, melons will just sit there and wait. And frankly, because of the rains we had in the spring, soil temperatures warmed up rather slowly. But right now, soil temperatures are in the range we like, 79 to 84, which is great for squash growth and melon growth. So they're going to pick up speed as far as ripening goes. And if you plant it in May, well, June, July, August, that would be your 90 days. So uh, soon, in a couple of weeks.
4: So 90 days roughly from a good planting in warm soil, then, is what I want to sort of look
1: at. Yeah, basically, it's not from when fruit are formed. It's from when you plant. I mean, generally speaking, it's when emergence from a seed to fruiting is the usual time frame for a lot of things but in the case of a transplant like that it's from when you put it in the ground
4: okay one more thing i planted bell peppers about the same time and i've always had pretty good luck with them blossoming all over the place and lots of fruits um this year not so much uh it the plant seems healthy nice and green i have gotten a couple of bell peppers off it but Man, just, you know, one blossom here, one blossom there. It's just not...
1: Are they growing in full sun?
4: Oh, yeah. Okay,
1: you got full sun and... Yeah, in a
4: good place. I, I try not to overwater them because I know they're not... You know, they like to kind of dry out and they like the soil to be warm. Exactly, I've yeah. I've to you for years. So, I, I, you know, I, like I said, I've always had good luck in the past. But this year...
1: Well, yeah, maybe it is a
4: big old uh, wine barrel.
1: Yeah. Uh, well, now, water, now OK, now that, that that could be the key there because of the heat spells we had in June. And yeah. if, if that barrel dried out prematurely before you had a chance to water it again, that can cause flower drop. So the thing is to keep it consistently moist. And, Roy, we have to run here. We have to go do news. But uh, try that. In fact, why don't you just hang on? I'll talk to you after the news. OK.
4: Will do. Thank all right,
1: you. Okay, all right, because that's a that's a complicated topic. It's Get Growing on KSTE.
0: You're listening to Get Growing with Farmer Fred. Talk six fifty KSTE. Here again, Fred Hoffman.
1: All right, garden grappler time, a chance for you to pick up a prize or two from the Farmer Fred Prize Closet if you're up on what you should be doing in the way of vegetable planting. In the weeks ahead. Yeah, I know it's going to be 100 degrees today, but it's time to start thinking about your cool season vegetable garden. Yeah, it's that time, and especially August, uh, which starts in, what, eight days? So it's time to start thinking about which varieties of cool season vegetables you want to either be starting from seed or getting transplants at the nurseries. And the nursery should start getting in cool season vegetables probably in the next uh, two weeks or so. So it's time to start thinking about your cool season vegetable garden. I know you're like Roy waiting for peppers. Come on now. You want me to plant cool season vegetables? That's why you should have a lot of raised beds where you can have some that have been fallow up till now and then put them in, put those seeds or put those transplants in. So name a cool season vegetable that you could plant from seed or transplant from now through August name a cool season vegetable that you could plant from seed or transplant from now through August. Clue available at FarmerFred.com. Clue available at the Get Growing with Farmer Fred Facebook page. All five callers get a prize, special bonus prize for caller five, because as you know, in the Garden Grappler, you cannot repeat an earlier answer. The numbers to call in with your cool season vegetables, 576-1578 in the 916 area code or toll-free 866-331-8255. 866-331-8255, or locally 576-1578 in the 916 area code. Brooks, are you ready in there? He's running the board. He's got a pen in one hand, paper in the other, and he's punching the buttons on the board with his nose. So he's ready. And uh, while you're ruminating on that one, we've been talking with Roy about his... uh, Pepper issues. Why he hasn't seen any peppers yet. The flowers keep appearing and then disappearing. And Roy, we've established that your pepper plants are in full sun. That's so that's good. Uh, But they were in containers and still are in containers, correct?
4: Yeah, big uh like half wine barrel.
1: Right. And when and with
4: real, real ones from the Pacific Northwest.
1: <laughs> okay, real wine. Oh,
4: well. Yeah, you know, real oak wine barrels not the, the yes. phony cheap ones that you sometimes.
1: <laughs> yes. Yeah. That 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 are around, yeah. yeah. The yeah. uh the uh peppers they don't like it when containers dry out. That okay. that really can cause flower drop And with the degrees of uh, hot or number of hot days we've had where it's been up into triple digits, especially in June, that can cause the flower drop. Uh, hot temperatures alone can uh, cause that to happen as well, as well as too cool of overnight low temperatures. Other causes why flower drop might happen on pepper plants and you aren't seeing any uh, f- uh, peppers yet, it could be the wrong fertilizer or not enough fertilizer. If you're using a a strictly nitrogen fertilizer, that's just green growth and does nothing for fruit development, which requires phosphorus and potassium. And with no fertilizer, well, then you're asking your soil to do uh, work that may be expired if it's containerized soil that has been in that container for quite a while. Does that sound familiar?
4: Uh, yeah i'm i 'm using uh, the good uh, organic fertilizers as recommended by your you know your friend mr Zion and uh, have been for years i 've been all organic on all this stuff okay I, I guess it 's possible not enough food in spite of that um, here 's something though it isn 't so much that the flowers seem to drop i don 't seem to be getting a whole lot of formation, only one or two here and there um, so now I'm thinking maybe it is a, a lack of nutrients. Maybe the plant just doesn't have enough energy to, to pump out the flowers.
1: Well, that could that be, possible? but don't overdose them with too oh, much no. fertilizer, but do it. Now, the thing with containers too, is that fertilizer gets leached out very quickly, unlike plants that are in the ground, because every time you water, it it leaches out more and more of the fertilizer. So if you're using a fertilizer that says apply once a month, as many organic fertilizers state, what you'd want to do is split that dosage in half and apply it twice a month to uh, lessen the effect of the leaching effect of when you water containers because that uh, fertilizer, if it's not being absorbed, would just be um, pushed just down further. Down, yeah. yeah, so basically... Okay, good fertil-
4: advice. I, I, I'm sending you a couple of pictures of a mystery plant. I'll let you look at them and uh, get back to me whatever way is convenient. If if you end up emailing me back or whatever, that that's fine so you can... Get on with your uh, award-winning radio
1: program. <laughs> yeah, well, as a matter of fact, it is. Uh, the uh, I want to tackle one more issue, though, about uh, the flowers and pollination on pepper plants. Okay. A lot of people think, well, it's because I have no bees. But actually, with peppers, they are a wind-pollinated plant. Yeah. And if you grow the uh, plant in areas where they're protected from the wind... Well, then the flowers may need a little help with pollination, sometimes giving the plant a little shake, especially mid-morning every once in a while is enough to pollinate some of the flowers. Sometimes people will take a Q-tip and uh, will go from flower to fr- flower to spread the uh, pollen around too. So if you want to get real up close and personal with your uh, pepper plants, you might try that.
4: Is that true for tomatoes as well?
1: Uh, tomatoes are a wind-pollinated plant too, but they do have a lot of assistance from uh our friends in nature too to help them and again shaking yes shaking tomato plants uh, mid-morning helps as well to uh, pollinate those flowers but those tomato flowers much the same as pepper plants they can uh, fall off because of temperatures that are too high or irregular moisture or too much nitrogen fertilizer
4: okay then Thanks, right. for, thanks for all the good answers. But,
1: Roy, since you sort of landed yourself smack dab in the middle of the Garden Grappler, do you want to take a stab at an answer as far as naming a cool-season vegetable that you could plant from seed or uh, transplant uh, from now through August?
4: Yeah, let me uh, tick off the crowd that's been waiting with their their mm-hmm. answer by giving away one of the easy ones, I think, broccoli.
1: Broccoli, yes, indeed, broccoli. And there's just so many broccoli uh, varieties out there that are uh, so tasty. And uh, yeah, one of my favorites. uh, I know I better not name any of my favorites because no,
4: because they've got a whole bunch of uh, answers waiting in the wings for that alternate (laughs) one. Since I took the one they were gonna use, okay, all right. But no, talking to you, Fred. Brock, no, no. Everybody else win the big prizes.
1: Well, Roy, don't hang up. Brooks Brooks is going to get your name and address, and uh, I'll be sending you, as all five winners get, uh, the updated uh, handout from the University of California Integrated Pest Management Program on woody weed invaders and how to better control them. And it's uh, newly released, so I'll be sending that your way along. With the uh, from the Master Gardeners of Sacramento County, their Sacramento area flower seed planting schedule. So I'll be sending uh, both those your way, Roy.
4: Did you say wooden weed?
1: Woody weed invaders like maybe yeah. you have that tr- might be what i have yeah you might have tree of heaven that's sprouting all over the place or uh, or too uh, many eucalyptus or for that matter ivy uh too much ivy and and okay. or bamboo things like that woody weed invaders there's a whole list of them that can cause problems in our area uh, acacias is another example uh tree of heaven is probably one of the most Pernicious ones that spread too easily. That that tree looks so pretty. It's oh, uh, that tropical look with the fluffy pink flowers. Yeah, and man, be, that
4: wonderful silk that goes yeah, everywhere.
1: Yes, exactly. And it flies and it lays seed. And next thing you yeah, know,
4: you've got they a. They can grow out of a crack in the concrete. Yeah,
1: yeah. Isn't that amazing?
4: Yeah. Oh, it's an unbelievable.
1: Yeah. So anyway, this uh, new release from uh, the folks at uh, the UC IPM department on Woody Weed Invaders might uh, be able to help you out. Hey, Roy, uh, let me okay. put you back on hold here. Brooks will get the info and uh, have yourself a good day. Thank you much, Fred. All right, so there you go. So we will cross broccoli off our list of cool season vegetables that you can plant this time of year. Uh, I, I love broccoli, and, and there are just so many more varieties. See, this is why I wanted to do this little contest now, because uh, there's just so many Varieties that you can find from seed right now, as opposed to uh, uh, you know shopping for possibly a limited amount depending on what nursery you shop at as far as transplants go. But uh, broccoli usually matures in sixty to ninety days, and I think I, I'm I'm safe to mention some broccoli varieties uh, that do well in our area, like Green Comet, Premium Crop, Green Goliath, Green Duke, Green Valiant, Emperor and Pac-Man all do well in our area. So this is the time of year if you want to, to be harvesting some cool season vegetables for, say, Thanksgiving or Christmas uh, and beyond, we've got to get on it. All right. All right. Call in number two. In today's Garden Grappler, where are we going? We're going to Elk Grove to talk with Elizabeth. Hi, Elizabeth. Hello. Hello, Elizabeth. What uh, cool season vegetable would you plant between now and August, end of August?
2: Sugar snap peas. They're like candy. We used to grow them when our boys were real little. They're grown now and and have kids of their own, but we grew sugar snap peas. The boys would like to go out there in the fall and just eat them like candy off the vine.
1: (laughs) Sugar snap peas are delicious. There's no question about that. Now, the question is, should they be planted now? And. To, for that answer, I will be going to the Farmer Fred Vegetable Planting Calendar that's posted at the Farmer Fred Ramp blog page to see what it says about peas. And it's talking about if you want to put in sugar snap peas, you'd be better off waiting till September. That the so sometimes if the soil's too warm, there are certain seeds uh, that won't uh, grow, and if the soil's too warm, the plant might not grow either, and that's the true with peas as well. Okay. Do you have an uh, an alternate answer?
2: Um, not right now.
1: Oh, really?
2: Oh, asparagus. Would that be okay? Well,
1: let's see now. When, when, when do they? Now, asparagus plants usually show up in the nursery, and you plant them from corms, uh, which are these gnarly rooted areas, and they usually show up in late fall and early winter. So not quite that. I'll give you one more chance if you want.
2: Let's see. Cool. Uh, sunflower seed.
1: Well, no. Sunflowers are a summer plant.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, so that's a, we're, we're running out of options here.
2: But, okay.
1: So, yeah, I, I hate to be a, a hard guy on this, but that's my nature. Okay. Is that, is that okay, Elizabeth?
3: That's okay.
1: All right. Thanks for calling. Thank you. All right. Bye-bye. Yeah, peas generally, um, but I will... I know Brooks has already taken down the information, so I will check with another source here uh, as far as when planting peas, and I'll go to the uh, vegetable research uh, and information page as far as uh, the planting information goes, and they're not going to tell me. That's not nice of them. All right, so, yeah, sugar snap peas, best wait until fall really begins. All right, we'll take a short break. When we come back, we'll get answers two three four and five to today's garden grappler name a cool season vegetable that you can plant from seed or transplant between now and the end of august the numbers to call 576-1578 in the 916 or 866-331-8255 it's the garden grappler it's going on get growing on talk 650 kste
0: continues with Farmer Fred. Talk 650 KSTE. Here again, Fred Hoffman.
1: We are in the midst of the Garden Grappler. We have one open line at 866-331-8255 or 576-1578. Here in the 916, people are answering the question, name a cool season vegetable that you can plant between now and the end of August. Yes, even though you're maybe still waiting for your tomatoes to ripen, It's time to start thinking about getting in your cool season vegetable garden from seed or transplant, letting it, doing its growing while the weather is still warm. And then as the weather cools and the days get shorter, they start producing the actual fruit or vegetable that you'll be eating. So uh, name a cool season vegetable that you could plant between now and the end of August for a fall or winter harvest or even into next spring. All right. Uh, We've uh Roy in Citrus Heights said broccoli. I wonder what Marilyn in Sacramento has for an answer. Hi Marilyn. Hello. Hi there. What uh cool season vegetable would you plant now?
2: I'm going to go with Brussels sprouts.
1: Brussels sprouts. Seeds or transplants in July, plants in August. Brussels sprouts. Marilyn, be my guest. Try Brussels sprouts. Good luck. Brussels sprouts have a hard time here, although I've heard some people have success with them here in the Valley. They're more of a coastal crop where temperatures are more moderate for a longer period of time. But it's certainly one that you 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 ought to try. All right, Marilyn. So what do I have for all five callers, Fred? I have for them the new UCIPM handout called Woody Weed Invaders. And from the Sacramento County Master Gardeners, their Sacramento area flower seed planting schedule. So I'll be sending that your way, Marilyn. Thank you. You're welcome. Thanks for playing our little game here. Appreciate it. All right. Where do we go from here? We're going to the beautiful town of Lincoln and talking with Zella. So Zella, go ahead and give us a cool season vegetable. How about winter squash? Ooh, winter squash. Now that's, uh, I don't think so. I think winter squash, for the most part, is planted on almost the same schedule as uh, summer squash. And it's true, it's April, May, and June are the best time for winter squash, even though the reason it's called winter squash is because it it does last uh, on the vine for so long and you can wait until much later to harvest it. And I won't go bad on you, but uh, not winter squash, though, even though the name would imply such. But no. Thank you. Well, wait a minute. Don't you have another answer?
2: Oh, well, I was going to su- suggest Brussels sprouts, and she beat me to it. How about turnips?
1: How about turnips? Let's check out turnips. You can, pl- oh, he's so close. <laughs> you can plant them from seed in September, October, and November. <laughs> I'll, I'm, I'm easy. You can try one more um okra okra i think that's a summer one okra actually oh you, you boy you squeezed it right in there uh it's not so much a cool season vegetable but you can plant it from seed in july so on that basis obviously if you can plant it from seed in july uh it's gonna it's gonna ripen <laughs> okay. uh, it's cool season so there we did it zella okra Okay, thank you. You're welcome. Thanks for calling. Appreciate it. You're welcome. Bye-bye. All right, bye-bye. Caller number four in today's Garden Grappler is Matt in Fair Oaks. Hi, Matt. Hi, Fred. So, Matt, don't say okra,
5: please. I promise I won't. Okay. But how about carrots?
1: Yeah, carrots. uh, And the problem with carrots, uh, if you tried to plant them now... The problem is the soil is too warm and they would not germinate. But if you wait a few weeks until August, they'll do fine. Uh, Carrots is one of those crops you can just plant a a short row every few weeks or so from August, uh, basically through August, September, October, November, December, and then uh, do it again in March, April and May. So it's one of those that you can almost have a year-round crop with, and uh, there are a lot of good carrot varieties. If you have a loose friable soil, something like the Imperator, the longer carrots are good. For if you have a heavier soil, the Nantes or the Danver Half Long are good choices. And that's why raised beds are so good for uh, growing carrots is because you have that nice loose soil and you can grow so many different varieties of the different colors. Uh, I know that uh, Renee Shepard at, at uh, Shepherd Seeds uh, sells a mix called Circus, which are just beautiful multicolored carrot varieties that you can plant from seed Mm -hmm. Uh, carrots good answer Matt so I'll be sending you the woody weed invaders handout from UC IPM along with um, the uh, flower seed planting schedule
5: that sounds great Fred I have a question for you real quick I thought so go ahead (laughs) first of all I want to say I got that answer by the way I have a little cheat sheet that I saved from the uh, UC sacramento county master gardener gardening guiding calendar
1: there you go yeah
5: and you can pick up one of those when you come to harvest day in a couple of weeks what a the
1: 2018 shill. Ones. what a shill all what? right You <laughs> got it for sale uh, yes you do that we should point out yes we have not pointed that out yet that the new 2017 2018 master gardener gardening guiding calendar will be available at harvest day april 5th at the uh, fair oaks horticulture center does the ca- have you seen the calendar not yet. Okay, I'm wondering if it starts in October or it starts in January.
5: I don't know. I don't know either. But but here's my question real quick. I we my wife and I bought a Chinese evergreen elm. That's what we thought it was. Turned mm-hmm. out it was some kind of an elm. We planted it. It's probably four years old now. It has the elm leaf beetle. It does the uh the the fossilization or whatever they call it of the the leaf.
1: The skeletonization, Skeleton, yeah.
5: Thank mm-hmm. you, the skeletonization of the leaves. Last year was worse than this year. The tree's getting really big, but we still have the skeletonization. I've tried killing them when they come down from the tree with uh, banding the bottom and killing the the larva as it comes down, makes its way into the soil. I read that much about the tree anyway, Um, but it's all for naught. They still still overwintered. Um, Everything I read on it said that if you have a really wet winter, you should decimate the, the bug but anyway the tree is still inundated with them um, it's not it's not dead by any means and it seems to be thriving what is your opinion on it
1: well it's interesting that the too bad it isn't the chinese elm because the chinese elm variety is somewhat resistant to the elm leaf beetle so it's it's too bad that what you didn't get was uh, uh Wait, that would one. you
5: recommend shovel pruning
1: uh you know considering the lack of um Controls that are available for it that you'd be hard to find there. Uh, I would, I, yeah, I would, I would shovels prune. I mean, I guess you, if you wanted to go to the bare Advanced Tree and Shrub Insect Control and use a uh you could do that uh, as a soil application that could help minimize the issue if you really wanted to save the tree. But if it's not the tree you want, if it, if it's deciduous and you wanted an evergreen, and by the way, the Chinese evergreen elm is not necessarily. Always evergreen. It depends how cold it is, and you may have leaf drop or you may not.
5: Yeah, we get total leaf drop. It's totally deciduous.
1: Yeah, but it's
5: the wrong tree. We were sold the wrong tree. And uh, I I think I'm going to take your advice and pull it out. Okay. Thanks very much.
1: (laughs) All right, Matt. Thanks for playing. Uh All right. Let's get to caller five in today's Garden Grappler. It's Lynn up in Alta. And Lynn, I tell you what, if you can come up with a fifth cool season vegetable I have for you uh oh it's a great book called the gardener's weather bible by sally roth so i'll send that your way if you can come up with another cool season vegetable you could plant in late july or through august
2: um i didn't hear all the answers but my my answer would be beets beets
1: let's see when, when one would plant beets here on the farmer fred calendar it would be planted in august so good going. Seed or transplant in August for beets. You could do it in August, September, October. Good answer, Lynn. So I'll be sending you that book, the uh, Gardener's Weather Bible.
2: That sounds wonderful. And beets, it's. I like to grow the vegetables that are. That are so much better than the ones you buy in the grocery store, and I've never grown beets, but. Okay, I never really liked them because my mom would (laughs) give us the canned beets, but that's one of those that's really good, isn't it? Oh, yeah,
1: and they come in, and they're not just red anymore, either. You can find gold-colored ones that uh, people really enjoy.
2: That's great. And I never knew that you couldn't grow carrots year round.
1: Yeah, there are a few months that you can't. Now, by the way, the Sacramento County Master Gardeners uh, have a list of which beet varieties do best in our area. And uh, they recommend the Egyptian turnip root, ruby queen, red sangria, Detroit dark red, the golden, which is actually a yellow one. And uh, the albino, which is a white one. So you might want to uh, look for those varieties.
2: Well, I'm going to have to experiment because, like I said, I grow- I live up here at 4,000. Oh,
1: that's right. So. Yeah. So, well, yeah, experiment. Yeah. Try different varieties and see what you get.
2: I'm going to have to do that. I didn't realize it was such a good thing. Well, thank you so much. I appreciate that. The book sounds great.
1: Lynn, thanks for playing our game.
2: I appreciate the game.
1: (laughs) All right. Bye bye. All right. We'll take a short break. When we come back, uh, we're going to pay a visit to the Fair Oaks Horticulture Center Orchard when we come back to get growing on Talk 650, KSTE.
0: You are listening to Get Growing with Farmer Fred. Talk 650 KSTE. Here again, Fred Hoffman.
1: We're at the Fair Oaks Horticulture Center. It's open garden day. It's May and we are in the orchard looking at ripe cherries and I'm getting jealous. Quentin Young is here, Master Gardener. Vicki Marie Parker is here, Master Gardener. And uh, Vicki, let's talk about this cherry tree. This is a multi-budded cherry tree. What varieties are on this?
6: Oh, a whole bunch. We've got lapin Bing. Uh, I believe we've got Stella.
1: Stella as well, yeah. Don't do this
7: to me. Come over closer here.
6: Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, Royal Anne. Yeah.
7: Early Burlat. A couple different varieties on here.
6: I think there's nine altogether.
1: Now, in a multi budded cherry tree, do you find some aggressiveness in one variety over
7: another? Uh, yes, we find some aggressiveness over uh, one variety over another, and we also have also have struggled with um, some are more susceptible to diseases than others. To solve the aggression, there there must be a lot of judicious pruning going on. Yeah, pretty much our regular summer pruning schedule. All right. And you can see we've sort of tried to keep it in a somewhat square, flat shape in case we want to bring out the netting again to try to net it against the spotted-winged drosophila. Yes. not sure if we're going to do that this year.
1: Well, let's talk about the spotted-winged drosophila, which is a pest, and people don't know they have it until they bite into a cherry and and they find a worm. But these cherries are ripe. Which uh, would indicate, and the drosophilas haven't come out yet, so maybe the cure, if people want a backyard cherry and avoid drosophila problems, is have a early maturing
7: variety of cherry. That helps. Um, we were also wondering, because we've had such bad cherry harvest the last couple years, whether we'll have a lower population of the, the fruit fly in general. So we're sort of waiting to see, and then one of the master gardeners is also going to make a uh, spotted wing drosophila trap um, to see if we can actually see if there in the lo- the location of the tree. Mm-hmm.
6: I came to work in the orchard as a volunteer so I could learn more about citrus.
7: Ah, because and what have you learned about citrus?
6: Oh, an awful lot. We have a lovely little past called the uh, le- uh, leaf miner mm-hmm. that makes little railroad tracks through our leaves, and I have learned that it's okay. It doesn't harm the fruit. It's just ugly.
1: Exactly. A lot of people panic when they see the leaf miner in the citrus leaves, and they They mistakenly start snipping off leaves, and what they don't realize is those little mines that they see, those lines, is just a small portion of the leaf, and photosynthesis is happening throughout the rest of the leaf, and so really it's still working.
6: I tell them as long as it's green, leave it alone. The same thing goes for when you've got uh, peach leaf curl. As long as you've got enough green leaf, you're still doing something. And if you start pulling them off pretty soon, you're going to have no leaves. Now, I'm just
1: uh, looking, Quentin, around here, and I'm uh, not seeing, of course, I'm sure you can spot it, but I don't
7: see in the peach trees here any, or nectarines, any peach leaf curl. Uh, we, yeah, it's there. I mean, they all had it. We had such late rains, we had a hard time keeping up with the spraying schedule, but it's, it's not something we're too worried about. I mean, we even f- have it on all three of the peach leaf curl-resistant peach trees. <laughs> Whoa, are, what would that be, the q one the oh. Indian Free, and Frost. Frost. And are they? Uh, well, they're usually peach leaf curl resistant, they just seem to have a little bit of it this year. All right. So
1: why is that? You would think with the late rains there would be peach leaf curl galore.
7: Uh, yeah, that's true, but just that um, we did keep to somewhat of a good spraying schedule, so I think that helped as well. You have
1: a lot of successes here in the orchard section of the Fair Oaks Horticulture Center, and again, the trees are kept no taller than the average person can reach, which is great for pruning and picking. So they're six and a half, seven feet tall, and it's easy for netting too. Now. With this cherry tree
7: here, you didn't net it this year, did you? We haven't net it yet. There's still the potential that we might, but we're going to have to build the PVC PVC structure around it and bring the netting out of storage.
1: All right, can I uh, go to your... Orchard Report here that was issued last night, I think sure. Vicky sent this out. Mm-hmm. Uh, the little cado and the holiday avocados are not looking happy.
7: They aren't, yeah, yeah. And Vicky Marie, we were, we've been talking about them, They're pretty, one of them has been leafless for almost four months now. It's showing a lot of potential, there's new growth coming out, so we're not quite sure if it's just settling in to where it's been planted or if it's just really struggling with the weather. Is it in the ground or in a container? Both, one's in the container and one's in the ground.
6: The one with no leaves is in the ground, and that's the holiday. It's the larger of the two. Mm-hmm. Uh, the other one has some uh, yellow, yellow veining going on. So, just just to be kind, we gave them a light sprinkling of Nutra Rich so that uh, they would get a, have some extra nutrients more than normally we would probably give a tree.
1: So I spent part of my morning on the internet trying to find out more information about Nutra Rich, and all I could come up with it's from Australia. Really?
7: <laughs> That's what I read. Okay. <laughs> but what, what is it? Uh, well, we use it here. It's a pelletized chicken manure. I think the numbers are 432, and it's about 7% calcium. And it's uh, just a really good, organic, slow-release fertilizer. You don't have to worry about it burning, and we like it because it's organic. Where'd you get it? Um, we can, Well, you can get it at Peaceful Valley Garden Supply and also at Fair Oaks Boulevard Nursery. And again, uh, there's a lot of test plants here. If there is a problem with the plants, what's nice out here is
1: they're labeled. I'd say this is what's wrong with this tree and this is what we're doing about it. Now with the avocados, I gotta get back to the avocados. I've been an avocado skeptic in Sacramento for years and years and years. Have you tried the bacon, the Zutano or the Jim
6: or any of the varieties that might have a chance here? Well, I know that one of our master gardeners actually planted one from a pit. And 20 years later, she was sad when she had to move because she wouldn't have her avocado crop every year. So, yeah, but her situation was such that she had a very strong southern direction for the trees and... um, She had uh, between two houses. It was perfect situation for the tree. And most of the time, if you try to just stick one out in the yard, they don't like it here. The extremes are too much for it. That might be the ideal
1: area for an avocado tree if you want to try it at home. If you are in a suburban situation and you've got that space between two houses, that's maybe 8, 10, 15 feet wide, you're going to get a lot of reflected heat if it's facing south. That may keep it warm enough in the wintertime for it to survive.
6: Right. She had that exposure, and it was just absolutely perfect. And as far as I know, the people who bought her house are ecstatic.
1: Now, what
7: varieties are you recommending uh, people get if they want to try avocado varieties here? Well, again, um, like, like Vicki Marie was uh, commenting, we picked uh, the little cotto because it's a dwarf and it does well in a container. So we wanted to see as an experiment how an avocado would do in a container in Sacramento. And then we also picked the holiday because it, too, is also a dwarf and it caps out at maybe 10 or 12 feet. Unlike some of the other, like the Mexicolas, the Mexicola Grande, the Zutanos, you're looking at a 20 to 30 to 40-foot tree. We didn't think that was really reasonable to fit in with our um, low pruning requirements for all of our fruit trees here in the orchard.
6: What if, oh, go ahead. Additionally, these two varieties both have a very uh, much lower um, chilling point than others there supposedly once they're established able to go down to below um 30. around 30 yeah for these ones here yeah and but it wasn't that cold of a winter well we wet. had we yeah, had so. the wet yeah. so we yeah we were concerned we did put up huts structures that with uh, heavy duty agribon uh donated by one of our master gardeners and um we put those up for the winter and made them pretty secure. So they, they, but the rain still came through, and it was the cold of the rain that really was a, a more of a problem, I think, than than the wet itself.
1: Avocados, plant them if you dare. There you go. And yeah. <laughs> Let's go
7: back to the question of what you would recommend for the Sacramento area. I would well, uh, if you're that, if you're really concerned about, it, I would look at some of the ones that have some. Uh, some frost resistance, some of them even down to like 18 degrees. Mm-hmm. Um, but then uh, under the heading of things that we've tried here, the papayas were a complete <laughs> failure. They just turned to mush. Uh, they turned to mush fairly early. Um, so we're not going to be trying those again this year. Goodbye papayas. Goodbye papayas, yeah. Buy them in the store. We are not a tropical climate exactly, after all. Exactly, exactly. So we, th- we thought we'd give it a try, and it was a good example of an experiment that didn't work. All right. And there are people, I, I've talked with people who are trying to grow papayas here, and I imagine are having
1: the same results you are. Probably, yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. I,
6: I think if you were in a situation where you had them in a container that could be moved indoors mm. during the winter, pre- pre- preferably to a greenhouse, you would be okay
1: a heated greenhouse
6: a heated greenhouse yes. yes
1: all right okay something to think about all right we're out here at the fair oaks horticulture center talking with master gardeners vicki marie parker quentin young we're in the orchard and again the orchard is only open during workshop events and harvest day here at the fair oaks horticulture center the workshops are once a month usually on the second saturday of each month and of course harvest day which is the first saturday in august the big event here the whole place is open and it's a just a wonderful event thanks for your time thanks for by the way harvest day is august 5th so just in a couple of weeks and we're going to be talking more about harvest day on next week's program well we're going to delve into the email and i see that a a weed is popping up in our area that usually pops up around late summer or so and it's a very poisonous plant and but it's very pretty but we'll talk about that when we come back to get growing on talk 650 kste
0: Get growing continues with Farmer Fred. Talk 650 KSTE. Here again, Fred Hoffman.
1: All right, let's delve into the email you've been sending to Fred at FarmerFred.com. By the way, due to time restraints, we won't have time enough to talk with uh, Heidi Napier about uh, oaks for for your home landscape as far as caring for old native oaks that may be on your property. We'll get to that segment maybe even next Sunday. It's quite possible. All right. Uh, Let's see. Email Roy in Citrus We were talking to him less than an hour ago, and he said at the end, I'm going to send you a picture of something. Maybe you can tell me what it is. So he sent the picture. He says, it's showing up under my sequoia gigantea, which is a tree, a redwood tree. What is it? And what are these berries or just seed pods? Something seems to be eating them. Should I keep this plant or pull it out? Ah, uh, I can always tell when it's late summer or becoming late summer, this weed starts popping up. And what makes it so attractive are the purple berries that hang in panicles in long, thin shoots uh, next to the big green leaves. And it's a very attractive plant that can get several feet tall, 10 feet tall. It is a weed. It is a poisonous weed. It's called pokeweed, and it's starting to pop up in our area. It's also known as pokeberry, inkberry, American pokeweed. It's a poisonous, invasive species. The birds spread the berries and up pop the plants. It's become more and more uh, common. It's a rapidly growing perennial shrub up to 10 feet tall with large leaves and red stems. And uh, you may be tempted to keep pokeweed in the garden because of the pretty white flowers and the glossy, dark purple berries. All parts of the plant are toxic to humans, pets and other mammals. The pokeweed berries, though, hey, it's good bird food, though. Uh, They're not affected by the toxins. However, as I said, the birds then spread those seeds from the berries, helping the plant to invade orchards, fields, and yards. It competes with the crops and ornamentals in your backyard. And once established, though, unfortunately, pokeweed can be very difficult to eradicate. It grows a very large taproot and can have multiple stalks growing from a single root and don't put the plants or berries in the green waste disposal bins or in compost and the taproot usually remains and often resprouts the following year so this sounds like it, it it would be the perfect example of a woody weed invader and that was the handout we were awarding during the garden grappler an updated version of woody weed invaders just released from the University of California Integrated Pest Management Program if you uh, Google the phrase "woody weed invaders" with the letters U C I P M, I'm sure uh, the latest version would pop up for you. That offers controls for various woody weeds such as acacias, or ivy, bamboo, uh, cottonwoods, eucalyptus, pompous grass, uh, poison oak, uh, the tree of heaven, wild blackberries, things like that. Plants that may have a purpose someplace else, just not in your yard. And the controls, of course, digging them out uh, can be an effective control for some of these, like pampas grass. Pampas grass, actually, uh, if you have a backhoe or a tractor or a strong back and a good-sized shovel, you can actually dig out the plant fairly easily. But others of these need some help. And one control that people often uh, go to are chemical controls. As far as a cut stump or a stem application, and this might work. I'm not sure if it would work, but it just might work with this weed. The poke weed, if you cut it off near the base and then treat that stump immediately, it's really a two-person job. If you're trying to kill a, a pernicious shrub or tree that keeps sprouting back and sprouting back, one of the keys for control is basically cutting it off, as close to ground level as possible, and then immediately painting it with uh, uh, a weed killer like glyphosate or triclopyr or something, but at a stronger dosage. And uh, it has to be done immediately because those wounds heal pretty quickly. So it's a two-person job. One person cuts, the other person paints that open wound. And cut stump treatments are most effective during periods of active growth stems of shrubs, trees, vines, or bamboo should be cut close to the soil surface, and then immediately after cutting, the herbicide should be applied with a paintbrush or a plastic squeeze bottle, Uh, and if you delay the application, that will result in poor control. Here's a word of warning about using a plastic squeeze bottle. Make sure it is a generic squeeze bottle, or that any, if there is a product on it, if you're using an old mustard container, for example... Put tape all over it so people don't mistake it for mustard, would you? If you've got Roundup in there, for heaven's sake. Or go to the 99-cent store and buy yourself some generic ketchup or mustard squeeze bottles and label them with the words weed killer. That can help. Would you do that? Thank you. All right. So for small stumps, you could completely uh, cover the cut surface, paint the surface. For large stumps, it's only necessary to wet the cambium layer, and that's the outer ring of wood next to and including the bark. That's where the pipeline for the tree is. Uh, Once dead, large stumps can either remain in place or be removed by professional arborists. For vines and small stem shrubs, stems can be cut with loppers or clippers and the herbicide solution painted or sponged on to the cut ends. And um, this word of warning that I talked about over on the KFBK Gardener Show, I should repeat, if you have a cluster of plants that are the same species and they're together, there's a good chance their roots have intertwined. And if you wanted, let's say you wanted to do this to eucalyptus, but you wanted to save some of the eucalyptus and only remove some, it may not work using this method because the glyphosate, in this case, would easily translocate to the desirable plants. So you want to make sure it's an isolated plant. Uh, treatment solutions should contain 25% triclopyr or 50% glyphosate from the high concentrate solutions. That would be the 41% solution. So basically, a 50-50 mix of glyphosate and water painted on. Um, if the product contains uh, 41% glyphosate, then use one part product and one part water. And... Um, Try that out. It just might work. All right. Time for me to get on out of here. Making room for the news. And then it's time for the KSTE Farm Hour. And on the KSTE Farm Hour this week, we, we have an in-depth look at the wild pig situation in California. Feral pigs are destroying cropland in several counties in California. And a wild pig control is a, a question and a vexatious subject for many people. Some people want to save the pigs. Farmers and ranchers want to get rid of them. Also, there's a group of farmers that are standing in the way between Governor Brown and his Delta Tunnels. Wow, farmers don't want water. What's the deal here? Well, we'll tell you about what the Westlands Water District farmers are saying about the Delta Tunnels project. Also, we'll talk about... um, cap and trade bill, what that means for area farmers and rural homeowners as well. That's coming up next on the KSTE Farm Hour. Thanks for listening to today's show. I appreciate it. Have a great weekend. Bye-bye.